How you doing out there? Amen. Let's get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Today is my eldest son, Riley's 22nd birthday. Amen. And he said if I didn't announce it and make a big deal, I'd answer for it when I got home. But it's weird because he's 22 and I'm only 25 and I just don't. 25 on this side, 25 on this side, three in the middle. But uh, God is good and God's a blessing, God, amen. We're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read verses 19 through 30 as we're finishing up the chapter. We're going to preach through the book, Paul's in Chains. He's uh, being led around by his captors, the Romans. He's lost his liberty. He's under house arrest, and yet somehow he has joy. He's concerned with all of what's going on in the churches more than he's concerned for himself. And what we learn from Paul from Philippians, the epistle of joy, is that in any of life's circumstances, we can have joy. We can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And many people think, well, when everything's going well and everything's going good for me financially and when all my relationships are in order and everything is perfect, then I can have joy. And that's a lie. In fact, that situation never happens where everything is perfect. On this side of heaven, we're always going to have conflict. We're always going to have issues. We're always going to have things to deal with. Anybody notice that these bodies were in, they, you know, they don't age like wine. They age like milk. Right? And why? It's going back to the dust, amen? We just need it for a season. So we're always going to have physical issues to deal with. We're always going to, you know, have relational issues. But that doesn't mean we can't have joy. Understand, joy is different than happiness. Happiness comes from the root word where it, it hinges on being happy with what's going on in the present situation. Now, it goes with what's happening. How many understand what's happening in our lives is not always good? And so we can't just, well, uh, not, it's not good, so I can't be. No, we can have joy, the joy of the Lord, amen, that supersedes and transcends all of what's going on around us. The world should look at the church and go, what, why are you guys so happy? Why are you at peace? Aren't, aren't you freaking out like everybody else? Don't you realize what's going on? Yeah, I'm not participating in that. My hope is in the Lord, amen. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm looking for his coming. I have the peace of God that passes all understanding. But did you see the price of eggs? Have French toast with, I don't know, put, eat a waffle. You'll be okay. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Lord, thank you for the word today. Make it come alive to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Paul speaking to those in Philippi says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven character, that he served me with the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. 
But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not be having sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I be, may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold people like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compensate for your absence and your service to me." So a lot of moving parts here. Paul's basically taking care of the church while he's in, you know, the fight for his life. He's literally on trial. He's going from place to place. He knows they're probably eventually going to martyr him. Yet, what does he do? He's more concerned about what's going on in the churches, particularly Philippi here, because he loves them and he's more concerned with their needs than his needs. You see, we're talking about joy here. And the way that you find joy is not becoming more self-centered, but becoming more others-centered. The more you and I think about what I got to do and what I need and how much and how is this going to work out and me, 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 and I, I, I. Do you know the world encourages us to do that? to be self-centered, to be about our own interests, to build our own kingdom, to think uh, about just what benefits us and concerns us. And, and, and they bill it as if you do that and you get all of your kingdom in order, you can rule over it and you're going to have all this joy and all this peace. And the truth is, it's just the opposite. The more you and I care about others, the less we focus on ourselves, the more we have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Amen. Paul's in the fight for his life, but he's worried about what's going on in the Philippians church. It reminds me of Jesus when he was on the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He didn't complain. He didn't argue with the people who were hurling insults at him. He took John and he said, you know, this is your mother. This is your son. He was taking care of his mother from the cross. I'm like, if anybody had an excuse to be focused on what was going on in their life right then, it would be Jesus who's being crucified for the sins of the world. But yet, he was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. He looked at those pounding the nails through his flesh and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Others-centered. More others-centered. Less self-centered. Paul starts off and these verses here in 19 and 20, and he lets the Philippians know, hey, I'm sending you Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'm sending you some help. And, you know, we get the sense here from Paul where he says, I, I hope that in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy shortly so that you may be encouraged and, and I may learn of your condition. So you're getting the sense here that Paul is more concerned. It's more hurtful to Paul to be separated from the people he loves, from the churches he loves, than it is for him to go through the injustices that he's going through. And again, that's a mature thing, amen? You know, many times we go through injustices. We go through hard spells in life. We go through seasons where you think, man, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Anyone been there? And, and it's easy to just get all inwardly focused. But, you know, Paul's like, you know, it hurts me more to be away from you guys than it does to suffer all that's on my plate. 
That's a beautiful thing, and it's something that we should, you know, take away from here and emulate that, you know, we should be thinking about others more than ourselves. Notice he says, I hope in the Lord to send to you. This shows Paul's full submission to the will of God. He didn't just do what Paul wanted to do. He did what the Lord led him to do. Amen. Too many of us are independent. Too many of us are are just, you know, in control of our own stuff, and we don't even think to ask the Lord, or we don't even think to inquire of the Lord, or we don't pray before we get involved in in a relationship or a business deal or take a job. We just do what we want to do. And Paul's saying here, no, I'm not just doing what I want to do. I I hope and I pray that the Lord allows me to do X, Y, and Z. Why? Because I'm fully submitted to God. And this is stuff that we have to learn to become mature Christians, that we don't just impulsively do what we want to do. I know this is, this is not the spot in the message where you hear a lot of amens and, hey, way to go, preacher. You know, you're like, no, I want to I pretty much do what I want to do. That's our flesh. You know, we kind of we just do what we want to do and see how it turns out. Anybody ever, ever kind of go through life like that? You know, it's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. So let's just go for it. Let me, let me just settle and then, you know, like, oh, God will forgive me, but let's give this a try. Paul's like, no, I'm just, you know, I hope in the Lord to send to you. I'm fully submitted to the will of God. I don't do my thing. I do his thing, and I'm submitted to him. Uh, and that's an important thing for us to learn. Sending these two men was not Paul's idea. It was the Holy Spirit's idea, and it was part of the permissive will of God. So he's dispatching them as the apostle, as the overseer, but there again, he's fully submitted to God. Verse 20, Paul pays a very high compliment uh, to Timothy. How many like compliments? Mark Twain said I could go a whole year on one good compliment. Anybody could use a compliment this morning? You know, your year is running out since the last one. Compliments are good. Paul pays a real good compliment to Timothy here. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He's saying, Timothy's my number one guy, and I totally trust in him. Think about this. What, 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 a, what a great thing to say about somebody. Uh, you know, that th- this guy, when he says a kindred spirit, he, he, he's saying basically, it's just like having me there if you got him there because we got the same spirit. You know, we need to have the same spirit as Jesus, the same spirit as Paul, we need to have that spirit that where when we're there, it's because the Holy Spirit brought us there and we bring the gifts of God there and understand what's going on here. This is a great compliment for I have no one else. He's basically saying, Timothy's my number one guy and I have full confidence in and so should you. Now, Paul gives compliments and we should all learn to give compliments. Amen. So think about people in your life that have done well, have served well, have been faithful. Compliment your spouse. Compliment your children. Tell them I'm proud of you. Tell them well done. You know, I don't feel like I'm getting too much traction here. But, well, Pastor, we said we like compliments, but giving them, that's a little awkward. Well, you know, get past it and learn to compliment those people. How many times you look at someone in your life and you think, wow, I really appreciate them. They're really a blessing. I really, I really like them but you don't say anything. And you think by osmosis, they just know. They don't know. They need to hear it, amen. Tell your brothers and sisters, your coworkers, your family, I love you, I appreciate you, I'm thankful for you. 
Amen. Paul did it. And, and you say, well, that's great. That's great for Paul. You know, it's something that we should, uh, you know, model and do. And yeah, we're with you, Pastor. But look at this. He shifts gears right in verse 21. And w- when he gives a compliment, it's sincere. But he, he also can just, Paul could just say it like it was. He would listen to 21 here. He says, for they all seek. He just gave a compliment. Now he's talking about another group. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. Whoa. He goes from a a sincere compliment to an indictment against those who are in leadership positions in the church. He's basically saying, I got a few guys here. They're helping me out. They're with me, walking me through this. But everyone else, look, and he says it. He's like, all of them, what? They don't have a kindred spirit. No, they're all seeking their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Understand on the other side of the coin, Paul could give a compliment, but he also could give, he could also be very blunt about things and just bring correction. And he's saying, too many of you guys in the church are self-centered, and too many of you absent in my time of need here. And there were actually people in the church that were hoping they would get rid of Paul, they would put him to death so they could fill the power vacuum there, they could be the next apostle Paul. They were salivating over his position of leadership as as if it was something they could acquire if they could get him out of the way. And that's a sad thing to have in the church. You know, we shouldn't have competition. We shouldn't be jealous of one another. We shouldn't be trying to assert ourselves. Come on, I I wish there were some Christians here this morning, amen. We should celebrate each other. And when we see each other using our gifts, we should cheer each other on, amen. (laughs) Well, I don't get attention like that. Well, my gift isn't celebrated. Maybe if you weren't such a crotchety grouch, somebody would celebrate you too. But you know what, I, I mean, think about that, that we would, you know, if we didn't have any of that in the body, and I'm thankful for this church here, I'm thankful for you people here, because we, we don't have too many issues to deal with here, I'm, I'm really happy with, with I, I'm happy with y'all, okay, and I told you, I've been to pastor's meetings, and I hear about what them other congregations do, do to them, I'm like, I'm, I'm keeping you guys, so... You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing here. Paul can, he can give a compliment, but he also can bring correction. And that's an important thing. He's basically saying, guys, you know, you guys are too, uh, you know, wrapped up seeking your own interests. Where are you? You know, this is a God thing. You need to be holding my hands up here. This verse 21 is a great verse for us to filter and evaluate the way we serve the Lord through, amen? You know, because all of us have room for improvement here because none of us have perfect motives. Come on, let's just be honest in church. Uh, There's sometimes our motives are wrong. None of us have zero expectations. Whenever we get involved in it, now a lot of you are looking at me like, man, I ain't saying nothing right now. But it's like, we all have expectations, whether it's a, a job that we take or a ministry position or what, well, I expected this, I expect. None of us go into a job interview and say, I'll take it. And they say, well, do you want to know the salary and the hours? No, I don't need a salary. I, I'm just gonna, I want to help the company be better. I, don't, I have no expectations. Come on, you want to hear the benefits package. You want to know the salary. You want to know what days you get off. You want to know who you got to answer to. You want to know all that stuff. Why? Because we all have expectations. So th- these things translate into the kingdom. Like in the business world, that's just, that's just smart. But, you know, we all have motives. We all have expectations. None of us have forsaken all of our interests. Only Jesus was able to do that. 
all of us, you know, we've got, we've got issues to deal with. We've got expectations to deal with. Now, we might not say it out loud in public, but all of us have thought from time to time, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Did you ever get roped into doing something you didn't sign up for? Come on, you get a friend, invite you over. Hey, we're having a barbecue. Come on by. And, you, and you're coming on by, and you get there, and there's a big rider U-Haul truck in the driveway. And the next thing you know, there's no, there's no barbecue. You, you're moving couches and sofas, and you've you got mattresses. And, and it's like I pull up, and, I, and I'm like, it's a U-Haul. <laughs> it tricked me again. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. And, oh, there was a barbecue later, later after 10 hours of moving stuff upstairs in a new apartment 30 miles away. And you're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. You know, if we're honest, sometimes we volunteer for a ministry post, and then all of a sudden we're like, what? I was just waiting, waiting for it to get real quiet. You're like, I didn't sign up for this. I got to fake an illness quick. But all of us get into these situations where we've got to put our interests aside, where we've got to humble ourselves and serve, where we've got to meet the demand here. And the indictment against leadership there was that Paul saying, you guys serve your own interests. And, you know, he's willing to compliment, but he's also willing to correct. And I want you to see that about the Apostle Paul. Be very leery of people who always compliment but never correct. Also be leery of people that will correct you all the time but never give you a compliment. There needs to be a balance there. Verse 22 shows that Timothy was tested and proven. I love this. It says, but you know of his proven character. So Timothy had a reputation. He was in ministry. He had proven character. Look what Paul says, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Listen to this, like a child serving his father. That's beautiful right there. Paul's saying this, this kid came up. He was humble. He was, he was a servant. He wasn't cocky. He served me, the man of God, the apostle, as a, as a child serving his father. He had a love for the things of God, a love for the ministry, a love for me as a spiritual father to him. Do you, do you see what Paul's affirming there? These are good things. That when we learn to serve and learn to be humble and learn to serve the things of God and the the, the people of God, it's a blessing to the Lord, it's a blessing to the body, but it also shows that our character is tested and proven. A lot of people want positions of authority, but they don't want to be tested and proven. A lot of people want titles, but they don't want to be tested and proven. Oh, I didn't sign up for that. I'm not doing this. I'm not serving. I'm not being humble. I'm not laying down my agenda. But I want, the, I want the office. I want the title. I want my name on the door. In the kingdom of God, you can't get one without the other. Timothy was tested and proven. He submitted to it. The people knew it. And as Paul sends him here, he goes with the credibility that his character affords him. Verse 23 through 24, as we continue gives us a glimpse into Paul's emotional and mental state. You know, we're trying to figure out what it is in Paul that allows him to have joy when everything in his life is pretty hard. That's kind of the point of the drill here. And every time we're in Philippians, I bring it up that Paul's in a tough spot, but yet he has the joy of the Lord. Paul's being, you know, persecuted unjustly, but yet the joy is overflowing in his ministry. And this epistle is not the epistle of persecution, the epistle of injustice. It's the epistle of joy. 
So we got to peek under the hood and say, what allows Paul to do this here? And, you know, he's definitely uh, got a hold of some sort of principle that we need to grab hold of. But listen to 23 and 24. He says, therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. So Paul, he, he wants to send Timothy right away. He's got Epaphroditus being sent. You know, he's getting these guys there. But he also just kind of injects this in, as soon as I see how things go with me. He's not concerned with his issues, uh, you know, at the top of the list, but there are some things that are weighing heavy on his heart. And we see that Paul, you know, he realizes what's going on in his life here. And, and then he says, let's see how things go with me. And then he says, I trust in the Lord. And now listen to this, that I myself will also be coming shortly. Let's take a look at all of what's being said there. Paul knows what's going on in his life. He's not this guy that has rose-colored glasses, that thinks everything's just going to go his way. No, he knows things are not good. He's in a tight spot, but yet he chooses to have a positive attitude. This is important. A positive attitude is a choice. If you're angry, upset, miserable, and negative today, I'm here to say to you lovingly, you've chosen that. Oh, no, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Yeah, but it's a choice how we respond. Oh, you don't know how unfair the situation was, but it's our choice to respond. Oh, you don't know how they took advantage of me and passed over me and said X, Y, and Z. But listen, it's our choice how we respond. And initially, we can be angry and we can be upset, and that's fine. But we've got to catch our balance and make a choice to have a good attitude in spite of what's going on in our lives. Come on this morning. Paul had a positive attitude. He took everything that was beyond his control and out of his hands, and he put it into the hands of God. He said, I hope in the Lord. He said, let's see how things will go for me. He says, I trust in the Lord. You see, this was his choice, not to look at all the circumstances and add it all up and say, I'm in, I'm in a mess here. I'm in trouble. I need help. No, but he was going to just put it at the feet of the Lord, and he was going to trust God and have a positive attitude anyway. Amen. Now, for those of you who are not, have zero facial expression and won't say amen, I'm going to keep preaching till I get one. <laughs> I'll waterboard you right into joy. <laughs> the apostle shows us we can't handle it. It's, it's out of our control. It's, it's not in our hands. We've got to give it to the Lord. If we don't learn to do this, we're going to be really frustrated in life. You know, there's things that you and I just don't control. And, and, and there's things that are unjust, but, you know, we can choose to have a good attitude in spite of them. Now, Paul expresses a slim hope here in verse 24. He says, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming to you shortly. Now, that statement right there is faith talk. Because Paul's not stupid. He sees what's going on. He knows the trajectory of his life. He realizes these Romans are probably going to eventually kill me. I'm testifying about the gospel. Uh, you know, I'm testifying to my captors. I got the right heart. I got love. I'm doing the right things. But I can see where this is going. 
In fact, the last time we were together and we were in this text, I talked about the fact that he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Do you remember when we talked about that? And the drink offering was an offering that was poured out and it was a, it was a complimentary offering to a blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice, an animal will be killed to cover sin and the drink offering was poured out behind it as a complimentary offering. Paul saw his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his life as a complimentary offering to what Jesus did when he offered himself on the cross for our sin. Are you getting this? Come on, grab hold of this today. Paul saw, you know, me pouring out my life for Jesus is just validating the fact that what Jesus did was the most incredible thing, that his death on the cross allows the free gift of salvation to be given to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And Paul says, yeah, you can pour me out as a drink offering, but he realized that would cost him his life. And he was happy to do it because his life was the only thing he had left to offer Jesus. What a beautiful beautiful expression here he says you know and then what he chooses to have a good attitude he know what lied ahead he know the probability he could see where this was going but he chooses to hope for the best he chooses to have a good attitude he says what i hope that i myself will also be coming to you shortly and and you know what you can hear the devil going good luck buddy I'm going to finish you off. I'm going to get you out of the way. They're going to kill you. But Paul has a good attitude anyway. And we should follow his example that even when life circumstances are stacked up against us, even when people are against us, even when all the indicators point to the fact that it's not going to go our way, that we choose to take the high road and have a good attitude. You know, both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over our nation's deserts. All the vulture sees is what it's looking for, rotten, dead things, because that's the diet that it lives on. Hummingbirds, on the other hand, ignore all of that stuff. They don't look for dead things. In fact, they look for colorful blossoms in the, flower, the flowers of the desert blooming because they know that there's sweet nectar there. One looks for dead things, the other looks for the living things, the sweet nectar. Choosing to have a positive attitude in life, no matter what's going on, is choosing to overlook the rotten, dead things and to seek out the beautiful things in the midst of our desert. So let me ask you a question today. When it comes to attitude, are you a hummingbird or a buzzard? Turn to your neighbor and say, stop being such a buzzard. Stop being a buzzard. Look for the sweet things in life. Have a good attitude. Amen. All the buzzards are sorting it out out there. Go ahead. Sort it out. Sort it out. Fighting over it. It's mine. It's mine. But, but you can always find something to be thankful for in life. You can always find the sweet things, amen. You ever notice people that are always negative, man? They could turn any blessing into a negative thing. You know, you, you tell them, hey, we, you want 100 bucks? You know, why not 200 bucks? Hey, you look good today. What, I didn't look good yesterday? You ever meet people like this? You don't even want to talk to them. They just forget about the glass half full. My glass is broke. My glass is missing. We've got to choose. I mean, that's buzzard talk. 
Have a good attitude. Paul chose to. I hope to come to you shortly. Uh, None of the indicators were there for that, but Paul chose to have a good attitude, and it was a blessing to him and everyone around him. Let's face it, people with bad attitudes are hard to be around. Verse 25, Paul is gearing up to send Timothy, but he's also got Epaphroditus there. And look what he says there again about him. He said, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. What a name there. You know he got picked on in school. So Epaphroditus, he says this about him. He's my brother, listen to this, and fellow worker and fellow soldier. That's a beautiful description. If Paul the apostle calls you a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier, that's a high compliment. Who is also your messenger and my minister to my and minister to my needs. So Paul gives some great again, some great accolades to Epaphroditus. And, you know, realize Paul had very limited support. Most of the people were doing their own thing, but he had a few people that were doing God's thing and they were supporting him in his time of need. But his support was limited. His resources were limited. And he sends these people who are tending to him to the Philippians at his own personal expense. I want you to think about that. You know, not many people will help you at their own expense. Most people will do something for you if it doesn't cost them anything, if it's no, you know, no limitation to them. Paul says, no, I'll help you, and I'll give you the limited resources I have. I'll send them to you at my expense. Understand, when you were in a situation where you were in prison at that time, it wasn't an all-inclusive ride. You didn't get three square meals and snacks and TV time and gym and yard time. And No, when you were a prisoner then, you had to have people on the outside bring you food, bring you clothes, bring you whatever you needed. Otherwise, you didn't have it. So here's Paul sending people away that were a comfort to him at his own expense. That's a beautiful picture of a servant there. There again, it reminds me of Jesus. We said Paul was serving people in a way and caring for people in a way that he looked a lot like Jesus, that, you know, the servant began to look like the master. Uh, Here's Paul saying, you know, I'll give away what little I have to bless you because I'm more concerned with you than I am with me. Like Jesus on the cross, there again, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. Don't hold this against them. There, there again, Jesus on the cross, he, he, he's dying. He's offering himself for the sins of the world. He's got his mother down there in John, and he takes the time to take care of his mother. He says, John, behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. He's up there dying, and he's thinking about others. Wow. Paul's beginning to look a lot like Jesus. None of us want to go through trials. None of us want to face injustices. None of us want to go through hard things. Many of us are like, why me? Why did I have to go through this? I didn't sign up for this. I came for a barbecue. Now moving couches. But Paul is saying, yeah, I'll send these guys to you at my own expense, at the expense of my own comfort and my limited resources. Paul calls Epaphroditus a brother, a fellow worker, and a soldier. It's important to see how Paul talks about his subordinates. You know, because when he gives a high compliment, we've got to balance it out in the fact that Paul also told it like it is about certain people who didn't have good character. You know, and there again, beware of people that all they say is nice stuff, but they never bring any correction. Listen to what Acts says here in 1537. I mean, listen to what Paul says in Acts 1537 about 
Barnabas and Paul were on a missionary journey. Listen to this. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do, on with them to do the work. So here's this guy, John Mark, and while Paul and Barnabas were out on a missionary journey, John Mark decides in the middle of it, I'm out, and he leaves them. And Barnabas is saying, let's give him a second chance. And Paul's saying, no, I'm not taking him with me this time. I'm not giving him an opportunity to bail on me when I need him the most again. Now think about that. Paul gives compliments, but Paul also tells it like it is. This guy, you know, he wasn't even willing to give a second chance here. He, he just calls him out, and he's like, I don't want to take him. They had such a disagreement about this, most of you know, that Paul and Barnabas split up at that time and went on separate ministry journeys, separate journeys. They split over John Mark, but Paul would not give the guy a second opportunity to, to hurt him while he was out on the field. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, again, Paul speaking, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So Paul calls out Demas, and he basically says, this guy quit on me in the middle of a journey, and he's backslidden. He went back to the world. You say, well, what's the point you're trying to make here, Pastor? The point is this. Paul is honest in his estimation of people, and he tells it like it is. If he gives you a high compliment, you know that you, de you deserve it, and you know that you've earned it. If he calls you out, then understand, you know, it, it, Paul is willing to do that too because he's not willing to be pretentious and, you know, be happy and, and make everybody happy and not make waves. No, Paul says it like it is. We need to learn from this in the church. We need to be able to give compliments. We need to be able to tell people well done. And we also need to correct people when they do things that are wrong. Everybody likes the accolades. Everybody likes the compliment. Everybody likes the that a boy. Come on. And, uh, but, you know, when it comes to being corrected, not many in our generation will put up with correction. If you, if you listen to encouragement, if you listen to wisdom, if you listen to praise, but then the minute I begin to correct you, you're rebellious and you're out of here and I'm leaving and we're leaving, blah, blah, blah. that shows your character. All of us need somebody that can walk up to us and stick their finger in our face and say, hey, you're messing up, buddy. Not you, you're doing a good job. I just I had to pick on you. But all of us need someone Gucci to come alongside of us and say, brother, that, that's the wrong thing to do. You got to stop that right now. If you don't have somebody in your life that, that can do that to you, you're in a really, really bad spot because the enemy can knock you down. He can trick you. He can snare you, and nobody can say anything. Understand, Paul told it like it was. All of us need to take correction at times. Listen to me, young people, old people, men and women, all of us need someone to correct us at times and to encourage us at times, to tell us we're doing a good job and to tell us we need to change some things. Thank God Paul was willing to do this. Now, you say he compliments others, he corrects others, he affirms those who are worthy. And, and he recognizes that he himself is not a one-man show. You know, he has a support structure. So the way he speaks about those, you know, who are subordinates to him is important. He doesn't try and pretend this is the, this is the Paul show. This is Paul's ministry. It's all Paul. Me, look at, look at me. Look at all I'm doing. Look at it. And then, and then he just ignores all those people that are supporting him. 
No, he compliments them. He encourages them. He's thankful for them. He, he says to the rest of the body of Christ, these guys are good. They're doing good stuff. You know, there's so many people who are successful in life and financial things and business and even in ministry that try and pretend, you know, they're not just the tip of the iceberg. They're the whole iceberg. And let me tell you something. Any ministry that's successful, any pastor that's successful, they are just the tip of the iceberg. There is a huge structure underneath that allows them to do what they do. At Full Gospel Center here, it's not a one-man show. It's not Pastor Rick. It's not Pastor Mike. It's not Pastor Frank. It's a whole team that's working together, each of us using our gifts. We need to encourage one another. We need to be thankful for one another. We need to acknowledge those gifts in one another and celebrate the body of Christ together. So the wise and humble leader, uh, the wise and humble servant, spouse who can encourage his spouse, the, the, the man or the woman that can, can encourage their children and support them, uh, the, God will bless them and God will increase them. The proud, ego-driven person that needs to take all the credit and all the glory and all the ego food can expect God to oppose them and humble them. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Come on, say amen. Paul was doing it right. He gave honor where honor was due, and he called out those people. Man, look what he said to Demas. Demas is backslidden. Stay away from that sucker. He's no good. He needs to repent. That was the new, the new Italian version right there, the NIT. Uh, let's see. We're going to continue 26 and 28 as we're going through this. A lot of text we got here. Uh, he says, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned with you. So Epaphroditus had gotten sick, and he was sick to the point where he almost died, and the Philippians heard about it. Now, remember, these guys loved each other. They had relationship. Uh, the Philippians were concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, you know, uh, almost died, and they're like, it's going to be good for you guys to get together so you can comfort one another. And remember, there was no social media. There was no Facebook. There was no, these guys, how do they find things out? They had to send people. They had to send letters. They had, it was slow communication. So, you know, they're saying it's a mutually beneficial thing for both of you to see each other, and so I'm going to send them to you, and God is going to reconnect you, and it's going to be an encouragement to everybody. Verse 27, Paul mentions the healing of Epaphroditus, and I want to zero in on this a little bit. How many people believe today that God still heals? Amen. I want to raise both hands. I know God heals. Many of us have been healed by God. We've seen healing ministries. We have prayer, praise, and healing here. God heals cancer. God heals diabetes. God heals every kind of infirmity. I believe God heals. There are certain groups of people that say, oh, God doesn't heal anymore. Well, you can stay sick then, but as for me in my house, we're going to trust the word of God that says, by his stripes we're healed, amen, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, that when the elders lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil, they shall recover. We're going to believe the word of God. Amen? So Epaphroditus is sick, and then it says here, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. I want to zero in on that. You know, many times we think if we do the right stuff in our Christian walk, nothing bad's going to happen to us. 
man, you know, I'm doing the right things. I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm staying away from sin, I'm going to church, and then all of a sudden I'm sick or I got this affliction or I'm bankrupt. And, you think, yeah, and, our, and our faith gets, gets shaken up and we're like, what is this? You know, meanwhile, the person who's not doing anything right, they just got a bonus, a promotion. They got a new boat in their yard. It's longer than your house. Right? And here's Epaphroditus. He's doing the work of the Lord. Paul singles him out. This guy's a, a brother. He's a worker. He's a soldier. And yet he's doing the mission work. He's out on the field, and he gets sick to the point where he almost dies. First, let's look at that. You know, nowhere in Scripture doesn't guarantee us when we do the right things that we're not going to have any issues. In fact, the truth is the, the closer we get to God, the more we walk with Jesus, the more we take up our cross and follow him, the more we get a target on our back and the enemy attacks us any way he can. So don't ever look at someone who's suffering or someone who's financially destitute or someone who's sick and go, well, they must be sinners. Maybe they're just saints, and they're walking so close that the enemy targeted them. But understand, what happened here is that he's sick, but God heals him. And Paul chalks it up not to, well, I prayed a really awesome Pentecostal prayer over him, and I chased the sick devil out of him. No, he's saying it was God's grace. And this is something us evangelicals, charismaniacs, Pentecostals, we've got to remember God doesn't heal because we pray really loud or we quote all the right scriptures or because we scream the devil out of them or, you know, or we, we say enough, we remind God of all the things he said in his word that somehow we twist his arm to. No, God heals because of his amazing grace. And when he heals, it's all his grace, amen. <laughs> I've met people over the years, you would think they, they think it's the volume that does it, you know. You, you, pray, you pray with them, and by the time you're done, you got ringing in your ears. I got healed of this, but I got tinnitus now. It's, it's not volume. It's not scriptures. It's God's grace. Does God heal everybody? No. Sometimes people don't get healed. Sometimes the healing is we die and go to be with him for eternity. Oh, I don't like that healing. Right? We don't like that healing. That's not the healing I was looking for. I wanted 90 more years. Why do you want to stay here 90 more years? The greatest healing is to go to be with Jesus for eternity, amen? But that being said, God heals physical bodies, and when he does, it's all his grace. And Paul makes sure to point that to him. This is Paul who laid hands on the sick, and they got healed. But he didn't say it was me, it was my amazing ministry, my super-duper anointing, no. He says it was God's grace, and we should always remember that. Verse 29 and 30, I'm bringing it in for landing. It's only be a few more hours. We're starting to descend. Paul asks for them to receive the ministers in a certain way. He says, receive them in the Lord with all joy and hold people like him. Who's he talking about? Epaphroditus who almost died. Listen, hold people like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compensate for your absence in your service to me. Paul's saying, this guy stepped up when nobody else could. He's ministered to me, and he's doing the things of God. And in doing so, he risked his life and almost lost his life. And he's saying, have high regard for people like that. Have high regard for those who minister, who go on the mission field. Have high regard for those who put themselves in uncomfortable places for the kingdom of God. 
You know, I think of some of the most uh, amazing people that are in the body of Christ are missionaries, and they sometimes receive the least honor among men. I remember when we were in Bible school and the missionaries would come off the field and come and preach in the chapel. We were never excited because they were usually not great preachers. You know, they had some cool stories, but man, it was like, you know, we, we, we were young and we, wanted, you, we were all amped up and, you know, we were still dumb enough to think we could save the world and we just want to hear good preachers. But then this missionary would get up there and start talking about this and that. We did this and that. And now you realize as you become mature that these are the people on the front lines laying their lives down, living in uncomfortable situations. We should honor people like that. We should regard them. Amen just amazing. There are so many in the body of Christ that offer so much. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those that work hard at preaching and teaching. And you say, oh, pastor, you're just saying that because you're preaching and teaching right now. No, I'm saying that because it applies to this verse, amen? When you and I use our ministry gifts, when you and I use our five-fold ministry gifts, when you and I use our gifts to serve the body of Christ, it's worthy of honor. We need to encourage one another. Do you tell these musicians from time to time, hey, it was great today. Thanks for bringing the anointing. Thanks for singing like that and playing like that. Amen. It's a sacrifice for them to be here. They, sometimes we, we get here like right after work or we get here early on Sunday morning and, and we, we practice and all this stuff and, and understand the people working with our children and people working, the ushers and everybody doing their part in the body of Christ. If we could just honor one another and celebrate one another and express thankfulness towards one another. You know, sometimes we're thankful for people and we don't say anything. And we think, well, they, they know. They don't know. Tell them hey, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. I, your gift blesses me. You know, sometimes the band's playing and I'm on the front row. I want to get a lighter out and be like. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that, that's, that's the anointing. I, sometimes I'm playing my guitar and you think, what are you, you see my lips moving up there. I'm yelling at the guitar. Give glory to God, guitar. Come on. And we're just, we got to use what we've got. We've got to celebrate what we've got. And we've got to be thankful for what we've got. Well, you're just, you're just lucky I'm here. I feel lucky. So verse 30 says, because he came close to death, and we see that people make sacrifices for the kingdom, we should honor them for that. But it's the fivefold ministry gifts. It's the preaching gifts. It's the, uh, the ministry gifts that allow us to do exploits for our God. And uh, we need to honor the body of Christ. And we need to honor the Holy Spirit for all that he's given us. So Understand, joy comes from being others-centered. If we're too self-centered, we've got to get before the Lord and work that out and begin to be concerned about others. If our prayer life is just praying about ourselves and our issues and our needs and our finances, we've got to shift it and put that on the back burner and pray for others. Get desperate to see people saved. Get desperate to see the lost get found. And get desperate for the move of God and the move of the Holy Spirit in the house of God. Amen. Paul showed us how to have joy in the middle of the worst situations. Be others-centered. Pour yourself out. Celebrate others. Correct those who are in trouble and messed up. And also affirm those that are doing the right things in that you're going to find joy in the peace of God. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you this morning for this 
beautiful group of believers here today. Father, I pray today that each of us, we begin to look inside and see uh, how we spend our time and our energy. Are we self-centered or other-centered? Father, do we concern ourselves with the things of the body of Christ or we're only concerned about our own exploits and our own uh, you know, opportunities and our own financial uh, building wealth? Lord, let us set all of that aside and be kingdom people. Father, we know that if we'll, if we'll put you first and put the body of first, you perfect the things that concern us. So, Father, help us to be other-centered and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And as the world comes apart at the seams, help the church to be a light in the darkness where people can run and come and find salvation and find peace, Lord God, as everything else spirals out of control. Let the rock of Jesus Christ be firmly established in the local church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.